1: It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home visit picasso to see thousands of listings that's PACASO.com. dot getting ready to take
0: on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more right now you can save fifty dollars on select battery tool sets real steel Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot that's a win-win columbia pfg has a lot of great gear so before you head out on the water head over to columbia.com slash pfg to shop their performance fishing gear and now move the sticks with daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks what's up everybody welcome to move the sticks dj bucky back with you this is move the sticks presented by zaxby's i should point that out by the way
1: buck how you doing man Man, I'm good. I am good. Coming off a strong Monday night performance from the Las Vegas Raiders. It's still hard for me to call them Las Vegas after them playing in Oakland for so long. Yeah, it's been a great week, man. Great weekend. A lot of good ball. Um, It's just kind of funny to see how teams, some teams have like hit the ground running like the Baltimore Ravens, like they're in stride and other teams are kind of limping out the gate where they're still trying to figure out the mechanisms to be able to play a game and it just kind of makes you want to tap into those people and see what were the differences in their practice and training camp approaches, because it does appear that some guys kind of have it figured out where other coaches and other teams certainly do not have it figured out.
0: Yeah, it's a great, it's a great call. It's been uh some teams, I think it would be interesting to see if it correlates to how physical they were in, in camp, which we had talked about some teams taking a more physical approach. I know, obviously, the Ravens have that reputation. Uh, you know, the Chiefs, we've talked about them being a physical team during uh, during training camp in the past as well. So that would be interesting to get that information. But, man, we, we've, got a, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. I want to hit on that game you mentioned it, Raiders' big win over the Saints. Uh, I want to talk about uh, an interesting trend with some teams and what they're doing under center and the value that you get from being under center. Center. Uh, we want to talk about our buddy Deion Sanders, get a new coaching job. We've got the conversation that we were having uh, on Twitter about being able to attack in coverage yeah. linebackers and safeties. And what does that mean for scouting? And I feel like it's something we've been talking about for several years. We'll get there. I'll, I'll save that uh, till we get there. Uh, but I don't want to spoil it. But how, how about last night? Your big takeaways from that game last night with the Raiders?
1: My big takeaway, um, John Gruden is playing the style of football that he envisioned. Um, The defense isn't perfect, but from an offensive standpoint, this is the John Gruden version of offense that he's always wanted to play. And so what you're seeing is a big, beefy offensive line that can maul people. You're seeing a running game led by a dominant runner who never really has to come off the field because he also can be a factor in the passing game. You're seeing a quarterback who is efficient, getting the ball out of his hands, but is very, very good working off play action. And then the only difference is you're seeing a number one pass catcher that is a tight end, not a wide receiver. But Darren Waller is an absolute star, and he is a problem. Uh, I Obviously, we've talked about him before, but, man, he is a handful. And what you're seeing, the Raiders control the game with their offense. You look at time of possession, it was nearly double. You look at the amount of plays, it was almost double. They control the ball with their offense, and that is the way they have to play because you want to play great defense, play fewer snaps of defense. That's the way to get it done.
0: Yeah, I mean it was impressive. And I, I, I want to go back to Josh Jacobs because we talked a lot about him in the run up to the draft. I remember when I put out my first top fifty list, Buck, and he was in my top top ten from, from start to finish, people lost their minds. And then he went out and ran four six two. And people said, you can't do that. As a running back, he ran four six two. You mentioned it. He's he is the engine there for that for that offense. I mean, he makes that whole thing go. And it's because he's physical. He's instinctive, he's got vision, he's got balance, he can help you in the passing game. Like he's everything that you need to be that, you know, lack of a better phrase, that kind of bell cow runner for your team and I think he's given them an identity offensively.
1: Yeah, and I think the big thing that I struggled with with Josh Jacobs was maybe the lack of production over years, meaning he was basically like a one-year starter um who kind of did it at Alabama and so you're like, "Man, how how good is he?" But I think how good is he really? But I think what I've learned from that, I'm gonna take Josh Jacobs and then I'm gonna back that up further and I'm gonna say Alvin Kamara. I yeah, think they're those, on the field. They were on the field in that game together right. last night. It's ironic. And I, right. And I think they're the two examples now that scouts can reference when you have those debates in meeting rooms. Because before it was like, hey, I wanna see his resume, how many years has he done? And Jonathan Taylor had a million carries and a million yards and those things. But we're seeing the nature of the running back position, maybe it's better that they come in. With fewer reps, fewer carries, because when they come into the league, I can load them down and know that maybe durability won't be a concern based on the mileage that they had prior to reaching the National Football
0: League. Can I look at it this way and say, if you've shown me that you can do it, if I know you can do it, I don't Mm -hmm. need to necessarily see you do it a million times. I know you can do it. That's number one. But then number two, don't you think the wiring, right? When they have the proper makeup and wiring and, and then you can say, okay, I know he can physically do it and then i know he has the want to to be able to work to be able to get to where we want him to be like to me that's like the beautiful combination when you have somebody that has the talent and the work ethic once you can fill in the rest of the gaps there's going to be gaps if you look at each evaluation like a like a sheet right like a like a, a coloring sheet mm-hmm. it's not all colored in you don't get to see it all colored in when you when you get it but if you can look at it and say okay he's got the ability he's got the want to he's got the makeup we can fill in the rest once he gets here
1: yeah and i think that running back position one I think you have to throw speed out of the equation when it comes to running back. It's been proven like the fast that you run has no effect on the kind of runner that you are. Like it's great when you can say that, hey, you're Chris Johnson it runs 4-3. But over time, we've seen the, the explosive runners. Maybe on a great year, you may have 4-6, 40-plus yard runs. The game is not really played in that. It's really in the 5-10 to 10 yard box. Can you make people miss? Can you punish people when you have the opportunity? Can you deliver 10-plus yard plays? That's kind of where you want to measure them. The other thing, the running back position, in my estimation, is the easiest for a young player to get on the field with a rock in his hand. Now, when it comes to pass protection, that's a different animal in the beast. But in terms of just being a pure runner or pass catcher, I think it's easier for young guys to play. And so when you think about a Josh Jacobs or even Alvin Kamara, when they came in without those reps, well, the one thing that you can look at with Josh Jacobs, well, if we ask him to do exactly what he did at Alabama – That's going to give him a chance to be a 15 to 20 touch per game guy. Alvin Kamara was outstanding catching the ball out the backfield. So I know at least I'm getting a third down back. I think it's really from an evaluation standpoint, looking at every player at running back and being able to clearly say, coach, here's, Exactly what he can do when we bring him into our program, and then let's see if we can build upon that when he gets here. But here is why he can get on the field and why he's worthy of being an early down or specialty, a specialty back, or whatever that is.
0: I want to I want to give you another thought here, Buck. When we flip it over to the defensive side, because a guy that was one of our favorites in the run up to that draft that same year, who lost his rookie year with Jonathan Abram, uh, we had him on. He's awesome. Yeah, loved his his energy, and it got me thinking. Defensively, I've told the story about how in Baltimore we had the STI, right? Speed, toughness, instincts. And and those are the three things you really hone in on. Defensively, I almost think it's like maybe it's extra credit. You know, maybe it doesn't belong in those top three. But man, you see you see it with Jamal Adams. And I, I went on Aftermath and showed some of the issues he had in coverage. But it's the energy. That's a talent. Energy is a gift. I've seen it with Derwin James when he's been healthy with the Chargers. Um, We see it with Jamal Adams, what he's done for the Seahawks on the defensive side of the ball. Jonathan Abram has brought that energy to that defense. And, man, I, I think, especially in empty stadiums that we have this year, it's never been more important than to have somebody, hopefully multiple guys, that that bring the juice. And I think Jonathan Abrams brought some juice to that defense.
1: DJ, I think we both are still kind of old school in our beliefs based on what we we're exposed to very early in our scouting careers. Um, old school mentality was you had to have an intimidator. You had to have an enforcer somewhere in the middle of the field, be it at Mike linebacker, be it a safety, one of those safeties somebody had to be able to force running backs and wide receivers to pay their taxes for venturing in between the hashes. Now, when the league changed the rules, there was a rush to kind of remove those players, those box players or those hard hitters, because you wanted the athlete that could cover, he could come down over the slot. But what you're seeing, particularly with the way that they're calling games now, that player has value because those hits really discourage people from venturing into those areas. They also energize your squad when you have a player that can come up and kind of stick their face in the fan and make a big hit. Those things matter because when you're dealing with humans and human emotions, there's nothing like, from a defensive standpoint, putting a ooey wee shot on someone that kind of sparks up the rest of the thing because it's contagious, because then others are trying to do it. And I'm sure you saw it in Baltimore with Ray Lewis and all those guys around. When they start making plays, it becomes a feeding frenzy and it's really hard to deal with a defense that has that.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that's changed probably with the rules and is that now those hits are coming against the run or they're coming in the alley, right, where it used to be those collisions would take place in the middle of the field. That's getting called now. You If you hit somebody mm-hmm. in the middle of the field, it's going to get called. So you lose a little bit of that value. But those guys being able to drop down, shoot alleys and fill gaps and be able to stick their face in the fan, as you said, That, to me, still has tremendous value. The challenge, here's the thing. You want to try and find guys. like That, to me, is the difference between Derwin and Jamal. Like Derwin Mm -hmm. can do that, but then Derwin can match up a little bit more in coverage. It's being able to get the advantage of what they give you with that physicality coming forward without having to deal with the liability when they're going backward. I think Jonathan Abram, I I haven't studied this tape yet, Mm -hmm. but from what we saw of him in college in Mississippi State, I think he's got the ability to play high and do some coverage things as well as drop down and give you that, that physicality that we're talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think that's so. I think that's the interesting thing when it comes to evaluating and pegging safeties because I almost believe that we're going to have to split safeties and maybe even a, a, a three-category feature where you have the high safety, which is your normal center field safety, your playmaker, no. the guy that would be like Earl Thomas in his prime. And then you're going to have – the strong safety or the type that is more like you would say Derwin James that can play in the box, but also maybe move out to the slot. And in the third category, I'm going to call it the the hybrid or the nickel backer, which is he's listed as a safety, but in essence, because so many teams are playing nickel, he's really that third linebacker. That's what Jamal Adams is to me. Jamal Adams is kind of like that guy that is the fringe box player because when you watch that game, man, how many times did he come off the edge as a pass rusher? Like when we talk about the Seattle Seahawks, yeah. they don't have a true pass rusher up front. So what they've done is they made 33 their fifth pass rusher. So he mm-hmm. comes, man, it seems like he's coming like 15 to 20 times a game off the edge, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. that's his value. And so when we think about that three-prong approach at safety, it's the high safety, it's the guy that is the versatile drop-down guy, and then really it's the nickel-backer safety that is – the role that Jamal is playing, but also a guy like Jeremy Chin would play. He mm-hmm. kind of the de- puffed-up oversized, but he's going to spend most of his time eight to ten yards within the line of scrimmage.
0: All right, I need help with the last word here because I love, you know I love doing the three same letters, right? We did it with the three Ps, right, for play callers, protection, playmakers. So I'm thinking of these three safeties, right? Fill, you need one that can fill. You need one that can float, which mm. is to float over the top. Now I got to come up with a third F to be able to cover in the slot. Maybe it's a flexibility. Maybe it's It uh, might be a
1: flex player. I think it is yeah. a flex player because going all the way back when I was working in Seattle, there was a great secondary coach Dick Roach. Um and Dick Roach said, and I mean this is early 2000, he said the perfect secondary is one where you basically have one safety and three corners. And yep. that guy that is your strong safety is really another corner and he said the perfect guy at the time you have to go all the way back he said Sean Springs is the perfect safety because at yeah. the time Sean Springs was considered a big corner at like one, maybe 6'2", 200, 210 pounds, big physical could run and so that's kind of what the league is evolving to because as more teams go to 11 personnel with three receivers on the field, if you can have a guy that can stay on the field and drop down over that slot receiver, well now you can play base, now you can do what you really want to do on defense.
0: Maybe there's maybe there's three C's. Maybe it's cover, crash, and I don't know what the, the, the high safety with the C. I've been workshopping that. I'm going to get that. By the next episode, we're going to have that. So, so,
1: yeah, you got the center fielder. Oh, center fielder. Yeah, you got the center fielder. Center fielder,
0: you then you got one that can cover, and you got one that can crash.
1: Yeah, because the, cra- the crash off the air yeah. is like literally yeah. DJ, like you're seeing these guys add more. The secondary blitz part of it, haven't had a chance to study, but it has popped up on tape. You're seeing this year more than ever, more sub blitzes, meaning nickel yeah. corners, safeties coming or whatever, because more teams are using these unique and exotic fronts, whether it's your nickel four two five, three three five, two four five, like, like they're using a, yeah. a, a variety of combinations to put different people on the field because it is a it is a problem for the offense to identify who do I set the protection on? Who is the quote unquote Mike? And when you have all these DB numbers floating around the box and any one of those guys can do it, it is a problem. And you should know that from being in Baltimore with Rex Ryan yeah. and talking to Dennis Thurman, those guys. Like, they outside of, they're running the same blitz from multiple packages, but with each package, it changes who the point man is.
0: Yep, it's exactly true. Um, all right, let's flip it over real quick on the other side of this. Uh, Drew Brees,
1: are uh, mm. you worried? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely worried. Like, he's lost his fastball. Um, I think what was telling uh, on the telecast, and look, give give them credit, it's a hard job to do the Monday night thing, but I felt like they were soft-shoeing the Drew Brees conversation. Mm -hmm. Drew Brees, when they were saying Drew Brees can't step into his throws, he doesn't have mustard or whatever, I'm saying right now the best version of Drew Brees would be Greg Maddox, meaning that he's lost the velocity, but because he can paint the corner so well, he is still able to do it. But what we're seeing is Drew Brees has almost become a knuckleballer. He's almost yeah, he, Tim he Wakefield. Missed, he, like. missed, he
0: missed some layups last night, man.
1: Yeah, and and so TJ becomes a problem because, you know, when we start to evaluate, like, from a scouting standpoint, when you're doing the advanced scout, it takes about three games, four games before you really hone in. If he continues to put up that he can't push the ball down the field, you talk about shrink. shrinking the field because also the Saints don't have any They don't have any burners on the outside. And so they've been able to get away with it because they've been so great with their shallow cross rub route packages that they can just run people into each other. And then Alvin Kamara has always been the guy that has been the one that can win because you get him matched up one on one on a weak side linebacker. He wins on the option route. So they would clear the side, go three by one. Alvin Kamara on the one receiver side, and he will run the option route. He either runs the angle or he runs the quick out, and boom, it's a completion. Well, now, if you double team him and you go tight man on everybody else, where are the outlets? That is when the offense becomes really, really sticky for the Saints, and I think Sean Payton is going to have to reconsider how they go about it. They may need to lean into the running game a little more and create what we talked about early, um, or maybe that was off air, The the play action under center and try and get their shots like that, because I don't know if he's going to be able to get it the way that he's always been able to get it in shotgun, all go special, pushing it down the field four verticals.
0: Yeah, the uh, the visual I would give you with what's going to happen if they don't prove that they can get up and get over the top is that it's like when you would go to the YMCA and you play five on five half court. Oh yeah. Like, are I we mean, gonna so run this full? Like, nah, no, 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 some no, no, of the old no, no. some of the old guys don't want to run full, so like we're gonna run half court. So are we are gonna like, play with all five. Court? This isn't even a regulation court, man. Like, we're, we we're gonna play we're with, jammed with all five guys. In here.
1: Yeah. yeah, all five guys. Woo. Yeah. We we yeah. can't yeah. move. A lot of bumping yep. and grinding. Yeah. So like, <laughs> but that that's what's going to happen, and the reason we didn't see the Saints move, separate, or run away from the raid because you kept thinking like, okay, at some point they're gonna run away from this game. Like that. Yeah. We're waiting for the old Saints. And they can't do it. Well, teams are going to look at the Raiders and say, well, if the Raiders can cover them, and I know Michael Thomas there, we definitely are going to add more man to man, more pressure, more in their face and see what it is. The other thing when it comes to being an older quarterback, and here's the thing about the older quarterbacks, when we got into the league You didn't play quarterback when you're 40 years old. No, like Your quarterback wasn't expected to be a 20-year option at the position. We got 10 years out of him. That was great. Then we saw guys play longer. Brett Favre was one of the first ones to really kind of play for a long time, and then it's continued. But now you're 20 years in, and the thing that happens is the hits hurt more. And so we're seeing Drew Brees, I don't want to say wince. Well, we're seeing him get rid of the ball Buck, quick, this is week two. Quicker. This is week two. What's this going to look like in week 12? It's going to be bad because his arm talent would start diminishing and deteriorating at the end of the year. And last year, he had a five-week break, you know, mm-hmm. where he could kind of put the arm on ice and kind of have a little juice left. If he goes 16 straight weeks, he's not going to be able to last and push it down the field. And I, I just wonder how much Sean Payton can do the mass, the deficiency, love the mind, and the decision-making – but now the physical ability may begin to have a, a, a toll on how they want to run their offense.
0: Well, you touched a little bit on it a second ago, talking about being under center and the advantages of being under center. I want to give you a couple numbers here for uh, some of these teams in the Shanahan scheme and what they're doing. So you look at the Rams and how efficient they've been. Jared Goff under center, 20 for 27, averaging 10 yards in attempts, two touchdowns, no picks. You look at the Green Bay run game, the way they've been able to get that on track, under center, Green Bay's averaging six point one yards per carry, um, so we're seeing some of these offenses. Obviously, Shanahan is under center a bunch. We've seen them. Uh, we saw them just destroy and demolish the Jets despite all the injuries that they had. But we're seeing teams that are under center have success. Buck and I, I to me, if you're, I, I think about it from a general manager standpoint, if you are looking to hire a coach in the offseason – you know, you want to start first and foremost with the leader, right? You want to get the best leader you can get. But, man, if you can if you can craft your staff, that's the offense I'm running. Like, that that is the one that I'm running is the Shanahan system where we're under center. And I'll let you explain some of the benefits of it.
1: Now the, the, the Shanahan system is one of the greatest systems. I go all the way back to 97, 98 when the Denver Broncos won back-to-back. I was playing in the league. I played against them in 96 with the Jaguars, played for the Raiders, against him, and it was problematic, Kansas City Chiefs, too. Like, you couldn't stop it, and they had a Hall of Fame running back in Terrell Davis, but the problem is, in the run game, when you're dealing with the zone, the outside zone is really the stretch play, so they're running off tackle. The way that it's designed, you're aiming for the inside leg of the offensive tackle, and the guys give, like, the running back is given three choices. It's bend it, bang it, and bounce it. So he either Mm -hmm. bends it back on the cutback, he bangs it up in there if there's nothing there, or he bounces it outside the corner. Those are the rules. It's a strict rule. You get to the line of scrimmage, and that's what it is. And when they're going in unison, it's really like watching elephants on parade. They're all in sync. They're just kind of stepping to their area, and they take anything that shows up, and they just kind of let you use your momentum against you, and then it's on the running back to find the lanes. The complimentary passing game It's so difficult because the the line comes off the same way. The running back moves the same. And if you've been getting gutted in the run game, you're flying up. And now they come out of it either on a bootleg or on a long, exaggerated drop. And they're running these deep crossing routes, like deep post, deep over, uh, tight end sliding down the line, leaking out the back door, down the boundary. Um, The deep shots are tremendous. And so if you're not disciplined with your eyes, if you're not physical enough, the offense will absolutely expose your lack of discipline. And it doesn't take what I would call an A-level quarterback to perform well. The reason why you talk about it being the preferred system is because you can elevate quarterbacks in that system. You make the game so easy for them that you, I don't want to say you can win with anybody, but you can win with anybody. And if you get a good quarterback a great then you go I mean you go to another level
0: it brought it it brought up a good point I was talking to a coach the other day and we've had this conversation in the past and he just reminded me of this too he's like you know when we're we're provide we're looking at our advanced scouting reports every week and you look at tendencies right and what teams like to do and he said it's amazing to me because I think on the outside you think man you got to change up your tendencies and what you're doing is like no, no no the good teams have tendencies because they have things they major in they have things that they're good at and they don't care what you do they're going to do what they do and be successful he said it's amazing every every week when you look at the report you're like oh man these guys have a lot of tendencies oh yeah this team's undefeated yeah because they do those things extremely well.
1: It is. And and, and so, DJ, like obviously from a high school coaching standpoint, like spend the offseason, like looking at like team building, culture building or whatever. And like the common denominator with all of these businesses and and, uh, companies that operate efficiently, they know what they know and they they master that. So out west, we talk about in and out in the south. They'll talk about Chick-fil-A where those two franchises are the best in the business because in and out they only make burgers. They don't try and make chicken tenders. They don't try and go out of their way. They have mastered the process of making the burger. And so if you do it over and over and over again, you get really good at it. Same thing with Chick-fil-A. You get great at making chicken sandwiches. The lemonade is what it is. You go there. You know exactly what you're ordering. It doesn't take a whiz to figure out the menu. It's very small, and it works. Well, so for the Shanahan system, look, I, they run two two running plays, inside zone, outside zone. That, that's pretty much it. And so the benefit of that is the fewer variables that you bring into the equation, the more you're able to answer the thing. So if I only do this, well, I I begin to know, well, they only can stop it a handful of ways. So we're going to spend all of our practice time working against what we know we're going to face as opposed to having more plays, which brings about more counters from the defense, which now, do I have enough practice time to fully prepare my team? And so there's some benefit to that. But you're right. Great teams have tendencies. They know who they are, and they're okay. And if you beat us doing what we do, we tip our hat. We go on to the next game. Yep,
0: it's true. And by the way, all this talk about food's got me craving a little Zaxby's here. I'm hungry, man. Uh, Zaxby's uh, our kind sponsor. we we got to get some food out of this deal, man. Uh, we we're do. We're like, sitting here doing the what, pod.
1: You know what they're little chicken. They're known, they're known for their chicken tenders and stuff like that. Like yeah, that. Yeah, that, give, me, that give me some tenders. get like the bag. That's what. That's what it's for, you know. Uh,
0: we got to get it. we got to get that. Come on, Zaxby's. Let's go. Let's get some tenders this way. Um, all right. Hey, uh, I want to ask you your thoughts on our on our buddy Prime here, Deion Sanders taking the Jacksonville State job. Your thoughts?
1: Love it. And knowing Prime really well and calling him kind of like a mentor, a friend, a buddy, um, text him yesterday about it. I knew this was in the works for a long time because he had said a few months ago that he had some coaching opportunities but he had to take care of business it was important I don't know if people realized it like a few months ago he graduated he got his undergraduate degree and so to be a college coach you have to have your undergraduate degree that's one of the requirements so he took care of that checked off the box he's been coaching down in Texas for a long time over a decade been with a very um, successful uh, couple of private schools the school that he's at now Trinity Christian they've won three straight state titles and they do it in splendid fashion with him being the offensive coordinator, even though we all know he's basically the head coach. Like when he's involved, he's the guy that's kind of running the show. And so going to Jackson State, I think it's interesting. It's interesting on a couple of different things. One, he took an opportunity that some would not take. He went to an HBCU, uh, a SWAC school, Jackson State, down in Jackson, Mississippi, where he doesn't necessarily have ties, but he wanted the opportunity to be a head coach. Two, what it does is it will shed a lot of light on HBCU's programs and the players that are in those uh, programs. It should be a boon because now he will attract a lot of attention. TV will naturally go where he's at. Scouts will also tend to go where all the attention and all the chaos because you, you could get more things. And I think the bigger thing now is um, the debate that we often have um, can former players, great former players Mm -hmm. be coaches Because be successful head coaches, because sometimes when you're a great player, you've been allowed magic Johnson. Yeah, you've been allowed to skip steps. And so sometimes it's hard for you to convey what made you great to others who don't have those same gifts. Yeah. And, And so that is typically the challenge when you're dealing with like a great former player. He's so great. He's been able to skip steps. His talent was able to maybe allow him to do it. That's why typically when we see head coaches, they kind of come from a different lane. Maybe they were the journeyman player. Maybe they didn't play at all or whatever. So they had to do it. The so, NFL is
0: backup quarterback. It, it, that's been uh, That's the most popular head coach choice is the backup quarterback.
1: Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see what um, he does. But I, I think it, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch him take over that program. I think it's fascinating to put him in Mississippi where you have Lane Kiffin in one corner. You have Mike Leach in another corner. You have enough talent in that state and neighboring that he could make a dent in recruiting. And the one thing that I've always wondered, if you had an HBCU program with a a magnetic coach who was a great Mm -hmm. recruiter, who could maybe entice some guys that typically would go to Power 5 schools or, or those things to come down and take a chance on the program, you just wonder what that would look like. Typically at HBCUs, you're dealing with a lack of resources. You don't have the right facilities, and the money is not. He's going to raise money. Yeah, he'll raise money. Yeah, it's it's hard to get coaches and all that other stuff. But if he can figure that part out, it is a very very interesting scenario.
0: Yeah my uh, my thoughts on that with Prime, first of all all that time he spent in Texas is going to benefit him because that's a pipeline, oh, I mean, right? A and so he's going to have relationships in that state to be able to get some kids. Um, you know, you're not going to get the kids that were Division One kids, but you're going to get some good players because you're going to know coaches and have good relationships. So he can fall back rely on that, number one. Number two, um, to me, if you are any secondary player, Right. That oh, is not yeah. happy. That is not happy where you are. You're at Texas A&M. You're at Mississippi State. You're at wherever you are. That should be that. He should be the prime, no pun intended, transfer mm-hmm. option for those kids to be able to come in. You're going to get on the field and you're going to get coached by a guy who did it better than anybody else.
1: Oh, absolutely. Those contexts <laughs> and connections are significant because we know like prime was very, very involved in the Under Armour uh, All-American game. He's coached a ton of those players. He's had those players come to his prime 21 camp. You talk about the ties that he has in Texas. One, being prime, being a star for the Dallas Cowboys. Two, being a a successful uh, successful coach in that area. He knows a lot of people. And so he's going to be able to tap into some resources, not only in Texas, but also in Florida, to get some kids to play for him. It's going to be a very, very interesting deal to to kind of see him. And I think what's what's funny is he's going from – He will complete his high school season to then playing a spring season at Jackson state. I I wonder how he delegates and manages, but he's had to do that because he had to juggle his NFL network responsibilities with being a high school coordinator and those things. I'm just curious to see who else he puts on his staff and who he has around. Yeah. I
0: am interested to see how he does, we'll be rooting for him again. He's, he's, uh, he's been a mentor and a close friend of yours. He's always been incredibly kind and nice to me as well. Uh, And he's, he's Deion Sanders. I mean, it, for growing up when we grew up, Buck, I mean, there was nobody cooler on the planet than than Prime.
1: Oh no, it, it's just it's such it's such a funny thing to do it, but yeah, like I think I think he do a fantastic job. He gets the right um, amount of time, and they exhibit enough patience because he's turning around a program that hasn't had a winning season in a while. If he gets it, I think he's going to eventually be successful there. But I will say this: that conference that he's in. He's in, I mean, there's some really good coaches. One of those guys that I talk about, I don't know. You remember backup quarterback at Clemson, Willie Simmons? No. Yeah, so Willie Simmons is a very, very successful uh, coach down at Florida AM. He is an offensive. FAMU. Guru. Yeah. They I lost to it,
0: FAMU in the playoffs one yeah, year.
1: Yeah, they threw it all over the yard, and they've just made the move to the SWAC after being in the MEAC for a while. It'll be it'll be interesting. It definitely will Not be my... an interesting ride, interesting journey.
0: Not my best start. I mean, we're playing FAMU, right? It's up in Boone. We got a home game. I think we're the, gosh, we had to be the number two seed, maybe in the in the the, uh, Division One AA playoffs. So they're like the fifteen seed, and uh, so they're coming to Boone now. FAMU, obviously, and people don't know this, but up in Boone, North Carolina, you do being around there. It's freezing during the winter. And Buck, we were just like, man, it's going to be. Hopefully, it's snowing. These these Florida guys not want anything to do with this cold weather. It was a chamber of commerce day like it was 50 degrees sun was out i was like you got to be kidding me they come out in there it was Jawan cider i think was the quarterback who played uh, in the arena league forever they threw it all over the yard on us i turned the ball over i was terrible we, we lost in the we lost in the first round of Famu. you who's bad man
1: you know the, um it's Essentially, it's a different style of ball, man. Like, and I'm sure if you ever get a chance, if our listeners ever get a chance to kind of see some of the ball that takes place. Normally uh, around Thanksgiving time, they would always do the Bayou Classic or whatever. But if you ever get a chance to look at it, man, there's some good players. It's a different style. It's wide open offense, kind of rules the roost um, in those conferences. So you see a lot of high scoring, a lot of high flyers, a lot of skill, talent. So it'll be interesting to see what Dion. Is able to do that.
0: And if you want any any more information on the, our buddy Dion taking the job at Jackson State, be sure to check out the Huddle and Flow podcast with our friends Jim Trotter and Steve Weich. Uh, actually, had Doug Williams, uh, HBCU legend, on to talk about uh, what this could mean going forward uh, for the HBCUs. We talked about it previously when we had uh, Steve and Jim on our pod, and I, they extend that conversation with the Super Bowl winning quarterback Doug Williams.
1: I want to ask you something because this came up, yeah. and I know we've kind of had talks about analytics and you brought up the thing about under center but i want to get your take on there's been a little bit of debate because i know you probably didn't see the game because you were prepping and doing the charging game but the dallas cowboys at the end of the game there's about five minutes left in the game they score a touchdown they're down 15 points mm-hmm. mike mccarthy elects to go for two at that point mm-hmm. um they don't get it um Like they're down 15, they score. So they cut it to nine. He goes for two, doesn't get it. So they're down nine. So now you need two possessions with about four minutes left. And so it's been debated because the quants, the analytics people are telling you, oh, you want to go early so you know exactly what you have to chase and how to play out the last game. For me... And I, I under, Extend I understand the game. That. I was always taught to extend the game. Extend the game because it's like basketball uh, to me. It's like basketball in terms of, hey, we're down late. Hey, let's start the free throw shooting contest early so yep. we can kind of – Put the of pressure place- on them. Right. And so my explanation would be the reason why you don't go for two on the first attempt is because if you make the game an eight-point game for the Atlanta Falcons when they get the ball coming back, they still have to play real offense. They still have to, hey man, we can't really run it all the way. We may have to throw it. That gives you an opportunity to potentially stop the clock with the incompletion, get a play off a interception or anything. When you're up nine and you you're calling offense, well now I'm thinking, okay, how much time is left? Let's take 40 Squeeze. seconds, yeah. multiply times three. I can you coach it,
0: on the sidelines doing this.
1: Yes. Stretch, I, stretch, yeah, stretch. I can I can take I can take two plus minutes off the clock, punt it back, and then what are the odds? that the other team is going to score, get the outside kick, and do it. Now, it worked out, but you can't make those decisions based on the result. Man, when you're playing the odds, you want to give yourself the most time. Now, the scenario that I think people should talk about is, if it's 14 points and you go for two, in that scenario, I think that is the right call. Because if you're down 14, you score, you go for two, now you cut the lead to six,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can win the game with the yeah. kick. If you don't get it, it doesn't matter. You just do a two-point conversion again. You tie it. And because the two-point conversion is 50-50, it's like 47%. You play those odds. You go twice, you're typically going to get one out of two. And so it's just one of those things where on Twitter, like you have the quants and the analytics, people saying, oh, you got to go right now. I'm like, no, time and score and context matters when you make these decisions.
0: I think it comes down to applying pressure. You know, you keep it's hope. It's two words. It's hope and pressure. Number one, it keeps your hope alive. You're a one-score game, so you 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 have continue to have hope. But I think it applies pressure to the other team versus, like you said, if it's a two-score game, I think they handle themselves a little bit differently. But I, you know, look that there's the numbers people that that look at it, what strictly at the numbers. I get where their explanation is. I just think that you're taking out emotion, and I think emotion pressure is a real thing, and, and it it's it a real has thing. A, it's a big a real time thing impact on, the on how they operate
1: for the play caller because DJ we're coaching together and okay. I'm like, DJ, what do you think? How do we want to take this? All right, look, it's it's three minutes left. How do we want to play this out when we have the ball? Do we want to run it the first two downs and throw on third down? Do we want to run it all three downs? Like, what is our approach? How many timeouts do they have left? Like all of those things factor into it. How many timeouts do I have left? Like that determines how, I, I I play this out. How many do they have? I want to burn up all their timeouts. So when I punt, they don't have the luxury of time. Where are we at when it stands with the two-minute warning? Because that's another timeout. All of those things go into scenario, and I just I mean I just hope there's a, an equation and a formula that is used <laughs> that takes all of that stuff in. I just don't think it can be um, a single one-dimensional approach. Like, nope, yeah, one plus, size you fits all. Go. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it, I don't think it necessarily works like that.
0: Um, I want to get your thoughts on the performance we've seen from some of these traded guys. We talked about Jamal Adams. We can we can move on from that mm-hmm. one. But when you look at the receivers, Stephon Diggs and Hopkins, the success they're having right away, and those teams making that aggressive move. Now, you know, obviously with the pandemic, now the value of the first round picks. We can debate that in this in a weird draft year. But if you just look at, at what they, uh, what they brought in, man, like' it's, it's hard to argue against the decisions that were made, the impact those two guys are having on young quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, and I think it's funny because mm-hmm. that is the underrated aspect of the conversation. When you have a young quarterback, you want to bring in veteran players that already know how to play, because now you have an established weapon that can get open, he understands how to handle the pressure, being the number one. You can depend on him. It is harder when you pair a young quarterback with a young receiver. The odds aren't in your favor that both guys are going to be mature enough to handle the responsibilities of being franchise players, the quarterback and then the playmaker on the outside. Also, I think it is easier now when you are looking at a number one receiver and to try and figure out either how does he fit into your scheme, DeAndre Hopkins, Hey, if I walk downstairs and I talk to the head coach, the offensive coordinator, if we get DeAndre Hopkins, how will we use him? And then he'll study how he was used at Houston and he'll say, oh, well, here's what we would do with the things that we have. Or I'm going to build it out based on what he did. What DeAndre Hopkins is doing, he's doing different stuff than he did at Houston. He is now running more hitches and quick outs and quick things designed to get the ball to him. He's using a more complete route tree stefan diggs to me i was skeptical on the stefan diggs thing because i was like man like stefan diggs is such a precise route runner and josh is such a streaky passer will they be able to get the value from him as a number one but they figured it out because not only with stefan diggs they got john brown and cole beasley and everyone's in their assigned role but diggs is a terrific route runner and his ability to create what we call Wide open space helps Josh Allen, and so yes, it has worked. Credit both teams for having a clear vision for how they wanted those number one guys to be in, integrated into the program and into the game plan, and it has absolutely helped both young quarterbacks take another step in their development.
0: Yeah, you know, taking their game to a whole new level. Um, you can't argue it. I mean, it's inarguable. I, I want to hit one more topic with you, Buck, and I didn't tell you about this beforehand, so I'm springing this on you, but. I was just thinking about this, and this is – we do hits and misses all the time, and I can give you a million mm-hmm. guys I've missed on, and it lists a mile long. But I was thinking back to four guys that had a chance to hit on, right? Where you're, and I'm just saying that you're higher than where you got picked, right? We had them graded mm. higher, and I know you're with me on all four of these guys because we talked about all four of them in the run-up to the draft in in their drafting years. But when you look at – I want to give you these four names. Derrick Henry, mm. DK Metcalf, Yeah. Makai Becton, Javon Kinlaw. Okay? We both had all four of those guys rated much higher than where they were selected. And what do they have in common? And I, I I know the the I don't know the better word to use. They're physical freaks. They're so much bigger, stronger, and and more athletic than the average person at their position. You don't pass on freaks, you just don't do it, man and to me you, you they all got nitpicked you look at all each of them they got nitpicked there There aren't many guys on planet earth that that possess this combination of size and athleticism they just they're rare
1: don't pass on the rare guys, man. It's funny because you know like you talk to a bunch of baseball guys we've had baseball um executives and scouts on the program, and traits are really big in their sport like height, weight, speed, the metrics, like the measurable aspects of the player and prospect you you can get and you can you can try and project him. I think with all of those guys, Derrick Henry was big, fast, physical. Uh, you just don't see running backs coming that size. Uh, DK Metcalf was like a big, fast, physical stretch receiver. He was more straight line in his approach. But um, if you were a visionary, you certainly could envision him being a vertical threat, um, someone that could take the top off the defense because you're just asking them to do something that was well within his wheelhouse. I just believe like, if your front office and your coaching staff are aligned, when you have these conversations, it's front office, A, hey, this guy has all of the traits that you look for at the position. What is our developmental plan? Do we have, are we a team that really develops players? Are we a team of because I think that matters. Mm-hmm. You have to scout your coaches. And I think in all of those situations, they had developers, developmental programs that enabled those players to get on the field and to have success. And then they were willing to change some of what they did to accommodate their talents. Derrick Henry being a downhill runner, where we see the Tennessee Titans play more eye formation, more under center to allow him to do his thing. And in the way that we've seen DK Metcalf emerge. But I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't think D.K. Metcalf was going to wear out Stefan Gilmore like that. Um, I had had a conversation with a, a veteran defensive coordinator about Stefan Gilmore, and they said, look, his best attributes are his instincts and his intelligence. His physical ability is not what everyone thinks as a shutdown corner. And what D.K. Metcalf did, he exposed that again. The speed, the speed factor is unbelievable from D.K. Metcalf.
0: But Buck, this is, let me just give you the, let's name this theory. It's the playground theory. If you went to a playground and you saw Derrick Henry, DK Metcalf, Beck, Beckton, Javon Kinlaw, you would be, you'd be the first pick at recess. Give me that. It's a playground. Don't, don't overthink this thing. He's, he's much bigger, much faster,
1: much stronger than all the other kids on this playground. I'll take him. Okay. So it's funny that you say that because we've had this conversation in a while about like scouting or whatever, like, In theory, it really shouldn't be hard. Like, identify who the good players are. Just take good players. Like, if if you go into the park and you're watching them play, go get the good player. Don't spend a lot of time, oh, well, is he a good player? Can I fit him into what we do? Let's go. Like, let's keep it as simple as that. Let's just keep it simple. And I think with those things, your playground theory, when it comes to guys that are body beautiful guys who have plus traits, you got to keep the tires on. Like if even if you miss on a guy like that, you missed going for a high-end athlete who also had played and performed at a level that you could potentially see him getting better. Look, you swing and miss on those guys. What you don't swing and miss on are guys that are short, slow, non-productive that you're trying <laughs> to stretch out like go and get a guy, you know? Yeah.
0: I mean we don't see you don't my my definition of somebody that fits in this category is you don't see one every year. No. I haven't seen a running back like Derrick Henry going back to ch- probably to Brandon Jacobs Brandon Jacobs is much faster than Brandon Jacobs. Like you, you know, with DK Metcalf, I mean you get a receiver like that probably once every, you know, I don't know, 7 8 years you see a guy that's just that physically big and strong and fast. Um uh, Mekhi Becton is a, you know, I I compared him to McKinney, to Bryant McKinney. Like yeah. guys that have that size and skill set, they don't come around. But every so often, Javon Kinlaw is another example. And we had Javon Kinlaw in the, in the top 10, probably should have had him even higher, yeah. probably in the top five when it's all said and done. We look back on it because he's he's so tall and long and strong and explosive like that. He's when you're comparing guys like Richard Seymour, these guys don't come around very often, man. No, so I, I just it, I don't understand sometimes. And you know what? I know he's been injured, and, and that may be factored into why he dropped. But Derwin James would be another example of just somebody at that so size that, and that's Speaking. the one that I
1: that's the one that I struggle with because I'm I'm looking at him and I'm I'm biased because having watched him since he was sixteen, seventeen, and and knowing what the makeup is, I couldn't believe like on draft. I'm like, man, I cannot believe this. Dude. Like, like, really? what am I missing? Am I too close? to the fire because like
0: this dude has everything that
1: you want. He's big. He's fast. He's physical. He's instinctive. He's tough. He loves the game. He has playmaking ability, man. Why am I off? And I, I I just had the toughest time understanding that. And I do believe that those freaks, you have to grade them accordingly and you have to have enough imagination to be able to articulate how this player is going to perform at the next level.
0: Yeah. Now it's, it's fascinating to me. But anyways, that was not was a fun discussion. Now, that's what I love about the pod is we weren't even talking about this uh, coming into the no, show. No, it's, but then it's, ended it's up funny. So fun d-
1: another guy that I would kind of put in there because DJ, Lamar Jackson, right?
0: Like He said that's another great example. Like, like he's just different.
1: Uh, like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. I mean, I guess I, we could throw Pat Mahomes in it. They all are kind of freakish in the way that they perform. And yeah. because they were, I would say, so different from the traditional – quarterback that we've seen, it makes it hard to kind of issue out that great. Now, Pat Mahomes, we knew about the arm talent, but like his game was unorthodox based on how he played at Texas mm-hmm. Tech. Lamar Jackson, when you watch, you're like, man, like I don't know if I've ever seen this work in the league. Like He yeah. runs around or whatever. But DJ, like I'm going to read something to you. This dude is the first quarterback in NFL history to have 45 touchdowns and fewer than 10 interceptions in their first, <laughs> first 600 pass attempts. Do you know who else is in the company with fewer than 20 interceptions, Mahomes, Dan Marino, and Kurt Warner. That's wow. it. Like, yeah. And so like now we go back and you're like, man, like a bottom of the first round, great. Like, I know. He rushed for 1,500 yards in back-to-back years, won a Heisman, did all this yeah. stuff, went, had a duel with the, Deshaun Watson where he was the better player. In- he,
0: made, he made Louisville relevant, which they had not been for a very long time. But I mean, like, and, and and to me, you can look at some other guys. Like when Gronk when Gronk came out, and yes. that was his back. Yeah, That's kind of what he felt. But life. he's a physical freak. Uh, you know, Quentin Nelson went high. I mean, he was a, a top ten pick, but he was a physical freak at Notre Dame. So it's those guys. Don't pass on those guys, man.
1: Don't do it. God, it, yeah. It's but it's, it's it's fascinating to watch. But you know what happens? Those freaks pave the way for the next generation of freaks because we won't make the mistake. The the next quarterback or next playmaker that shows hints of those skills that wow. the aforementioned guys have, have shown, we'll jump all over those. Like, that's what happens. Yep. Like Russell Wilson paved the way for Kyler Murray to be able to exist. Did, by the way, did you see his touchdown with this, the skip to my Lou stutter step and then dancing? I think, I think he's found his mojo as a runner this year. Cause he didn't show that last year, but this no. year he, he is fully embracing
0: all that he is as a player. How good, how good is, how good is the pinky promise looking? Oh
1: man. Man, We take that to the bank.
0: Like seven, they got
1: seven spots, seven spots to get to the playoffs. Yeah. I'm
0: feeling good about it. Feeling good about it. I'm feeling very good about it. Uh, all right. Let me, uh, handle some business here. Let you guys know you can stream live and local primetime games for free on your phone and tablet by downloading the NFL app or Yahoo sports app. So give you a heads up on that one. Uh, We've had uh, we've had some fun podcasts over the last year, and it got me thinking about the. Uh baseball podcast that we did as we're going towards the postseason. We had a chance to have Jed Hoyer on from the Cubs who are going to go to the postseason. Um, we had gosh, Mattingly was on who's done a great job yeah, Dave uh, with, the, with the Marlins. Dave Roberts, again, the Dodgers the best team in baseball right now. Thad Levine with the Twins, they're going to go to the postseason. So we got a chance if you are you're if you're kind of want a little baseball flavor as you go towards the postseason, go back in the archive and find the Move the Sticks podcast we did, uh, the Winter Meetings edition where we talked to a lot of these guys that are having success this year and i thought they gave us kind of the blueprint uh for their plans and and that uh it's kind of cool to look back on that uh, now that we're heading towards the playoffs
1: it is really cool and uh i mean i think this year more than any other year we really dug into what, what i call tr- cross training trying to look at other yep. sports looking at other team building models uh, scouting models to kind of see how we can pick their brains and, and kind of incorporate it with what we do and i think Man, this this baseball podcast is one of the best when it comes to giving you insight into how they think, how they go about building their teams, how they evaluate and kind of sort out the top prospects from the others. And so, look, I would encourage everybody to listen. It is it is it is great insight and, and, and a different perspective on how championship squads are built
0: i want to add this uh, we've encouraged you guys to leave us ratings and reviews on apple podcasts you guys have done that we're getting close to 2000 on there on uh, on the ratings i believe so go ahead and hop on there get us over that number it would be great you guys have been leaving us the best high school football player you've ever seen uh which we've got some great names some new ones that have popped up on there you guys gave us adrian peterson tyler boyd Daron Harmon, interesting one chase winovich Uh, And then Darnell Savage. So those are some of the names of of some of the best high school football players you guys have ever seen. So if you haven't done it already, hop on there. Give us a rating review. Let us know the best high school football player that you've ever seen.
1: Anything you want to add here, Buck, before we roll out of here? No, just make sure you check out all of our content, our video content. Go to NFL.com slash MTS video and YouTube.com slash NFL podcast. Make sure you check out what we got. Inspired by
0: ongoing conversations with players, the NFL launched NFL Votes to empower and improve our communities by exercising the right to vote. Uh, join the NFL family by v- registering to vote today and make your voice heard this November. Visit nfl.com slash votes to learn more. That's going to do it for us today. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's.